This message is brought to you by ABC Church in Ammonford, West Wales. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org. An awesome, rapturous uh, round of applause as he comes to speak to us this morning, don't you think? Yeah. yeah. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone here this morning. And I'm really excited to speak on the subject I'm going to be speaking on because it's one of my favorite subjects. I'm speaking on unity, togetherness, being one, being together. And we've heard that this morning, haven't we? And the thing is about the church in 2016, if ever, ever we needed to be one, it's now. We live in a fractious society, don't we? And we need the church to be one. We need the church to be together. And my theme this morning, you'll see, is very contemporary. Uh, we can start off with a, a short video clip which has gone um, viral in the last few weeks. Well, last two weeks, actually. Um, it's only a minute and a half long, but I'm sure uh, many of you have seen it. And if not, um, even though it's football-related, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thanks, Lee. In every battle, every fight, and every match, there's always a favourite. The experts and the pundits will say that on paper this team is stronger. Man for man, better. More strength and depth. But football isn't played on paper. And the odds may be stacked against you, fair enough, fair enough. But what the odds won't tell you is that this isn't a maths test. It's a different kind of test. One where passion, courage, heart overrides any kind of logic. Where the sum is so much more than its parts. So when you cross that white line with that red dragon burning in your chest, remember this is a team game and you are not alone. We are Wales. And together, we are stronger. Come on! Hey! What a video, isn't it? Anyone else seen that in yeah, the last couple of weeks? Together, we are stronger. Put up the first slide, if you, if you will, Lee. And we've all seen this in the last few weeks, all over TV. Together, stronger. Yeah? It's been the motto the Welsh football team have embraced. It's the motto the Welsh football team have um, applied to themselves. Because why? Because we're a small nation. We're a small nation, only three million and a bit people. Yet we're taking on nations of 40, 50, 60 million, 100 million, 200 million. And together we have to be stronger. Why? Because we're small and we're facing odds that are stacked against us. And so in taking on together stronger as a motto, it pulled people together, didn't it? It united the nation. Those of you who are sports fans like me will identify with something like that. If you've played team sport, and there are people here who have, you know the dynamic of team is vital. And when you're in a team environment, if you're not a team, you will lose. However good you are individually, however potent you are individually, however powerful you are individually, however talented you might be individually, unless you are a team, in a team environment, guess what? The chances are you will not win. 
And when we're talking about overcoming odds that are stacked against us, the church in 2016, the impression is that we are facing odds that are stacked against us. Are we? Because when we sit here this morning, and there's probably about 50 of us here today, and we're in a town of 12,000 people, there's probably 100 in the evangelical this morning. You think to yourself, well, hang on, on an odds basis, we are losing this fight. Okay? Well, I think that anyway. No, people say, hang on a second, Mark, you're a leader. You can't think like that. I apologize. Because that's the way I think. And I'm raw and honest. As you know, whenever I preach, I'm honest. And I look around me sometimes, I think, what on earth is going on? Because when I read the Bible, we should be winning people, shouldn't we? We should be taking our towns. We should be taking our communities. We should be taking our counties. We should be taking our nations and winning them for Christ. Why? Because the template is there in God's Word for us to utilize. So what's going wrong then? The chances are we're not utilizing the template as we should be. The chances are we're not applying stuff that we need to apply. Why? Because maybe, just maybe, in this consumer world we live in, it's too much like hard work. It's too much of an effort. It's just asking too much of ourselves and of those we're in church with. But we're in church, and we do church, to challenge each other, don't we? And so I'm challenging myself as much as I'm challenging you. Please don't take it personally. If you're taking it personally, then you're taking it the wrong way, as they always say, because I'm speaking as much to myself as to anyone else in the room. Let's put up the second PowerPoint slide if we can. I mean, did you, have, did you see that picture as well? I mean, that was a pure coincidence. They didn't plan that. But together, stronger at the end of the game, when they came together having beaten Belgium, this incredible thing happened is that the, the camera, the ones that go on the zip wire above the stadium, picked out the fact that well, it looks like the light, lads are in the shape of a heart. And that says it all, isn't it? At the heart of the matter is the heart. And their heart was in the game. Their heart was in uh, representing their country. Their heart was in, together we are stronger. And what the church needs in 2016 is to get away from the factual nature of God's Word and take God's Word, open it, and shove it in our hearts. Theology is great. Theory is wonderful. Teaching from God's Word, you can't beat it. But unless you take that and you shove it right in your heart, it is a waste of time. It's a waste of effort and it's boring. I've said many times, I am not religious. I don't like sitting down and listening to preachers. I don't. Why? Because most of them are boring. And the reason is this. Is it is just rhetoric. It is just words from a great book. And to them, it is no more than that quite often. But I'm glad I'm in a church that we don't do rhetoric. We do God's Word and we apply it in our hearts. So what we need to do today, this morning, very quickly, is apply God's Word right in there and make it work. Because it's got to work if we want to be together and we want to be stronger. We're going to watch uh, another video now, please, Lee.
You've seen that before. I don't know if everyone watches the Gareth Malone programs, but uh, uh, they're really good, aren't they? Um, if we can just put up the next PowerPoint slide, please, Lee. You know, just this last week, we've seen our nation pulling together stronger. A hundred years ago, the Battle of the Somme, uh, one of the bloodiest battles ever. Did you know that in the first day of the battle, over 58,000 British soldiers died on the first day? 58,000 people. That's nearly the Millennium Stadium, full of young men. More some between the ages of 18 and 20. And if anything pulls people together, it's conflict. It's battle. Those women there that the choir was made up, as you can see, is pretty obvious what it is. Holding up photographs, some of their, wives, uh, of their husbands who were serving, 
Some of them have husbands who had given their lives and had lost their lives in serving. And if you watch the documentary, which is about, I think, over about two or three weeks, I mean, it was so touching to see these women that they needed something to keep them going. They couldn't do it alone. I mean, I've never lost anyone like that um, in conflict, or especially at that age. You can't imagine what he must, the feeling that those women must have been going through, knowing their husbands were serving four or five thousand miles away. And all of them said the same thing. We needed something else other than me in the house worrying. I needed a group environment. I needed to share my fears, share my anxieties, share my concerns, share everything that was all wrong about conflict. I just needed somebody to have a cup of tea with and a chat with and a coffee with and, and, and what have you. They needed togetherness. They needed unity. And they re- the reason behind their unity came in the fact that they were united against a common enemy and that their husbands were united in working that through in a military sense, how that would work its way out on the field of battle. And when we look at pictures like this, you know, 1.2 million people died in the Battle of the Somme. 1.2 million. That's a third of the population of Wales in three and a half months, gone like that. Incredible. And I was watching a documentary in the week when they were commemorating the, the battle, and there were guys there, and obviously this documentary was made back in the 70s because these men were still alive. And you... <laughs> The horrific environment those guys lived in for those months. Unbelievable. But they knew that the only way that they would succeed, the only way, was if they stuck together. And I'm going to suggest to you, no infighting, no arguing, no disagreeing. The cause to them, it was so relevant because they were there. It was so cute. It was so... Um, it meant so much to them because they had family at home they were protecting from you know, the tyranny of, the, of the, the Nazi empire. They knew what needed doing individually and collectively. And so my question to us this morning is this. Do we know what we need to do collectively as a church? Do you understand? Do I understand? Do I get the principle of together stronger? Because if the church, we're going as lone wolves here. Wolves has been the wrong word. You know what I mean, lone wolf. But if we're going solo, we're not going to change this town. If we're going solo, you will struggle to change your own life. Even though it's down to you. Because you need me. I need you. Remember we, we spoke last time about how stones, are, uh, you know, how they rub together and they smooth each other, don't they? You know, um, probably the best um, example of that, if you go down to Bracelet Bay in Swansea, you go down on the pebbles there, they're nearly all perfectly round and smooth, beautiful. But they've rubbed against each other over the years and knocked off each other's sharp edges. And now you've got these lovely rounded smooth stones. And that's what we need. Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6 says this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, To live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another. That's hard, isn't it? In love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. Just as you call to one hope, you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all. And He is in all. 
And everyone said, We are one people. Everything about our God is one. The principle of the Trinity that we believe in God, the Father, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe that He is one, don't we? And do you know, the, the book of epistles is commonly referred to. It's like the prince of, of epistles, the queen of epistles, uh, somebody call it. And it paints this picture uh, of the truth of the spectacular role of Jesus and the gospel of Christ. In, and it splits up the epistle into two parts. In the first two or three parts, it talks all about the wonder of our salvation. And Paul is writing this, this book in prison. Right? He's not writing this lying on a beach with a nice cold drink in his hand, getting, some, getting a suntan and being served lunch. No, Paul's in Rome. He's in prison. And he's writing the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus, a bit of a history lesson, the church in Ephesus was becoming very affluent. But the, but the society, sorry, was very affluent. But the church was causing society a problem. And the problem was too many people were becoming Christians. Too many people were coming to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul and those Christians in Ephesus were causing too, many, too much hassle. And the reason was that um, Artemis, the, the god that they worshipped at the time, they had an industry that was built up around Artemis, very similar to, if you go to Rome, to the Vatican, if you've ever been there, all the shops around, and ever you can buy little um, Vaticans, and you can buy all oh, loads of stuff. Mary, and there's an industry that surrounds it, and there was an industry that surrounded the god Artemis in Ephesus, and the locals were saying, "Well, hang on a second, this is going to destroy our industry. These Christians, there's just too many of them. There are too many people getting saved in this city, in this town. Chuck him in jail." And the, the reason was that Paul was so potent in what he said. Remember, if you look at the book of Acts, you can see what was going on in these cities at the time. Revival was happening in the church. And the reason revival was happening in the church is because there was persecution in the church. Because if you were a Christian back then, you had to stand up for what you believed in. You had to stand up and be counted and you had to stick together because there were people at every turn looking to destroy you physically looking to kill you you had to stick together and by sticking together the church in Ephesus took off over two thirds of the city were converted to Christianity isn't that amazing in an affluent society where depravity and all that goes with with money Everything, you name it, was in, was in that city. The church in Ephesus turned the city around. Why? Because what Paul was saying here when he wrote this epistle, listen, the first three chapters are so infinite, so infinite and so incredible about the grace of God that it's so incomprehensible that you're never going to take it in. But let me tell you this much. That's okay. And this is what he goes on and say in chapters 4 to 6. That's all okay. But you've got to lift that off the page and shove it in your hearts now. Because you need to live in a certain way. And with certain people in a certain way. And you need to do certain things. It's all well and good to say, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. He rose on the third day. I have eternal life. But unless you take that and apply it and it percolates through your life, it is a waste of time. Serious words. But Paul was adamant 
That was the only way that they were going to turn around uh, their town. Matthew 18, verse 19, and one of my favorite verses. Again, truly I tell you that, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with you. We prayed here on Thursday night, didn't we? For the youth of our town. And we've had a praise report this morning that something physically has happened. Now, I don't really care what you think about that. If you think, well, I've only taken a couple of benches away, the council probably plan to do that anyway. I don't care what you think. The reality is, is that within 24 hours of us praying, something happened in our town that had an actual effect. That it dissipates these people around somewhere else is not our problem. What is our issue is, there's a need, we agree, we are unified, we pray, God acts. Because that's what Matthew says to us. I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There's a statement there. The prerequisite is that we agree. But the prerequisite isn't that we agree in theory. The prerequisite is that we agree in our hearts. That we get it. Do you get what I'm saying? Are you feeling me? Thank you. And the Greek, the Greek word that's used here uh, to, tra- to translate the word agree is the word symphonize. And if you've ever been, I've only been once to listen to a, um, a full orchestra. It was the um, Welsh Philharmonic Orchestra in Cardiff. took my dad with me. And it was a night at the movies. Talking of last week, night at the movies. And it's amazing. But if you've ever been, I don't know if, hands up those who have been. Ooh. There's a few cultured people here. Thank you very much. Nice one, Tom. Paul. The one thing that stands out five minutes before all the instruments are they're, they're playing their little tune and they're getting their, themselves all tuned up. and It's chaotic, isn't it? It's just a mess. And then suddenly the conductor comes along and he stands there and he, he stands there and suddenly silence descends. And as soon as he moves his arms, whoa, a sound happens which if you've not heard an orchestra, I encourage you to go, a sound like you generally will not have heard before. It is beautiful. Absolutely stunning. Let me give an example. Got a little, little minute and a half clip, that's all. It was mentioned last week. Now I said last week, nice bit of music is Forrest Gump. Yeah? It's beautiful. And this is what a symphony together, playing together, sounds like. So if we can just run that for a minute.
stunning music, isn't it? When a symphony comes together. And so Paul, uh, sorry, Matthew used this word symphony, agree, when, when two or three agree together. In other words, when we symphonize together, the Greek says, when we come together, suddenly God in heaven hears a sound which is beautiful. As God's people pray together, as God's people worship together, there's a symphonizing of agreement. And it's a, it's a beautiful, you try and picture that. You know, when you're in your house group, there's only maybe five or six or eight or ten of you. Or when we're here in a, in a prayer meeting, there's 15 of us or there's 30 of us. Or as we're here on a Sunday and there's maybe 50 or there's 100 of us. To try and picture that as we sing, as we agree and we, as we begin to worship, so we're creating a symphonizing, yeah? What a beautiful melody that, that, that and what a beautiful picture that invokes in our minds, yeah? There's... Um, I was reading this week um, about the redwood tree. The redwood is the biggest tree in the world. Well, it's the tallest tree in the world. And the giant redwoods in California, they're strong and they're tall. But I didn't know this. Do you know you will not find a redwood anywhere on its own? They cannot grow on their own. Um, apparently, the root system of a redwood tree is so shallow that if they stand alone, they will blow over. They will not be able to stand up to strong wind. And when they stand together in, in, a, uh, you know, in, in like a, a forest, the root system naturally intertwines with other trees, which gives them their strength. But one thing that's really interesting here is that the roots of the redwood tree will only intertwine with roots of other redwoods. They will never intertwine when, with any other tree. The tree just won't grow. In other words, unless they grow together, they won't grow. Unless they're together, they won't grow. How incredible is that? What an illustration for the church. We cannot do it on our own, guys. I challenge you. You might kid yourself to think you can. Don't kid yourself. Being a lone Christian is probably one of the hardest things you can be. But together stronger, as is our motto this morning, together strong, just like those redwood trees, there's another illustration then, and that is this. Don't intertwine yourself with groups that will pull you down. Because it depends, you know, on what groups you're in, as to whether they will make you stronger or whether they will actually make you weaker. We're talking about the kids over the park. Let's personalize them. If they're listening, they can come along and have a go at me next week. We have issues in our town where we have large groups of young people doing their thing together. Taking drugs, sniffing glue, aerosols, you name it. I mean... We've got somebody here who testified to the dangers of that. You tell me that is together stronger? Not a chance. That's not together stronger. That's together weaker. That is together dangerous. That is together destructive. That's what that together is. In the 90s, I think it is, any film buff's going to crack me here, one of the films of the 90s was Train Spotting with Ewan McGregor. It won awards, Academy Awards. Why? Because it was a film about a, guy, uh, 
a gang of, drunk, of junkies in Edinburgh. Well, that's an uplifting story, if ever have you heard it. Have you seen the film? Don't bother. It's one of the most depressing films you'll ever watch. And you're thinking that how can a critic glorify a film that together sees people dying of overdoses, girls going to prostitution, people's lives being destroyed, being glorified? How? Because it was demonstrating together in that case was weaker. It's all about getting your, your peer groups right, isn't it? It's all be, about being with the right people at the right time. Social media. Massive dangers in social media. Together weaker. Social media. We have to be careful. So careful what we're tweeting and what we're putting on Facebook. I mean, Pam, be careful what you tweet today now, right? <laughs> She's all over Twitter, oh, Pam is. We have to be so careful what we are putting out there in this vast social media world which has no boundaries. Andrew and I was talk- were talking about it in the week. The danger of social media out there is incredible. Now, if any of my fellow employees listening on here, well, that's a, good, that's a good start anyway. I doubt if they are, but if they are, they are. You can't work for my company without them doing a social media check on you before you even get past CV stage. It's the first thing they do. They will run through your Facebook, through your Twitter. They'll, they've obviously got, Mike will know more about this, and Paul and who. There are tools out there that can invade your life like you've never known. They'll see every photograph, every comment and everything. There are filters in there. will pick up buzzwords, terms and photographs. Bang. Anything untoward, you're not even getting past CV stage. Why? Because they know the dangers of social media. I'm not going to say any more. I'm going to be very careful I say on things like Facebook and social media because I got a real beef about some stuff that's on there. Um, just be careful what we post. Can we do that? Can I just leave it at that? Yeah? Can we just be careful what we post? Let's be careful what we like and what we dislike. Let's be careful what we seemingly get involved with or not get involved with. And I'll just leave it at that. Secondly, if the church isn't together, what does that say to people outside of the church? Hmm? If we, I was in the gym yesterday, as you can see, trying to work off my, uh, my tire. It gets harder as you get older, you know. When I was 40, I could work this off in about three months. Now it's going to take me about three years, I think. But uh, I'm trying. God bless me. I'm talking to one of the guys in the evangelical church who goes to the gym as well. How we were saying, excuse what I'm going to say, how sad it is that still in 2016 we have so many disparate congregations around our towns and around our country. I mean, how have we got so many evangelical, Pentecostal, free evangelical, charismatic evangelical, just because everyone's a different banner over the door. I have a real problem with that, right? As you can probably tell. The central motivation of the church of Jesus Christ should be identical. Whoever we are, whatever church we attend, whether we do the hallelujahs, hands in the air, whether we do the shabarangas, as Mike, I think, calls it, or whether we sit there with our arms crossed, the central theme of the gospel is identical whatever church we should attend. Absolutely identical. 
And working together is tough. Because working together means serving together. Means rolling up your sleeves, getting your hands dirty and stuff you don't want to do. There are people in this church, and I would ask them to stand if it wouldn't be embarrassing, who do stuff, I can tell you now, they don't want to do it. But they do it, why? Because they, they see a bigger goal and they are serving you and me. And I tell you, I say, praise God to people like that, didn't you? We are so grateful that we have a church full of people like that. And when we're united in our heads, and united in our hearts, you know what? We'll take a lot that's thrown at us. And we won't accept a lot of stuff that's thrown at us that we know is unacceptable either. Why? Because we get it together. And together strong is a theme that the Welsh football team adopted, but it's a theme that we should be adopting as a church. To know that together, we're stronger. No favourites. No preferential treatment. No one here should ever be deemed to be irrelevant or dispensable. No one ever shunned. No one ever looked down on. No one ever judged. No one ever sidelined. Why? Because it's not your place and it's not my place to do that. It's your place and my place to pull those people in together. Why? Because together we're stronger. And divided, we're weaker. You know that term, united we stand, divided we fall. Um, Some people relate about the scripture. Used firstly really in the American Civil War. Where the generals there knew that they they were pulling guys from all different states, all different towns. Some of them had never been to another town. But they were pulling them together. And they adopted the the, the motto, together we're stronger. If you're from Kentucky, Mississippi or Texas or California, together. Yeah, you're different people, but we're stronger. So if the church is together, then what does that say to those um, who are outside the church? Thirdly, if the church is to be together, stronger, then we all have a part to play. No one is to hide. No one should want to hide. Everyone works together. Everyone has vision together. Everyone outworks the vision together. Everyone feels the pain of our society together. Everyone feels um, the... um, feels the triumphs in the church together. Everyone experiences the good, the good days and the bad days together. We all pull together. That's what churches should do. And that's how we should be relating to each other within the church environment. The church is going to be so careful because what are we looking for? We're all looking for a shortcut to success, aren't we? Churches want to short-circuit that. They want to say, well, we want to get there. And their vision is for this. And I always say, oh, that's, that's fantastic. How are you going to get there then? How are you going to get there? What is it like today? Are you together today? Because you ain't together today. You ain't going anywhere. Oh, you might have a big church. You might have lots of people in it. But you won't be together. If we look at the church and the history of the church in the UK, memories that I've got, you know, if we look from... 1850, to say 1950, the church was very much a theological church. It was all about the platform. It was all about the preacher. Whatever the preacher said, you just did. It's just the way it was. Everything was, 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 was God-word-centered, which is absolutely correct. But it was all legalistic. 
In the 50s, then it all became experiential. Oh, it's all about my feelings now. And from the 50s right through to the, to the, to the early 70s, it was all about feelings. And then we came to the 70s, and I'm sort of, sort of a young child in the 70s. And you get the 70s, and it's then it's all about demonstration then. The church had moved on from, from feelings to demonstration. We have to see things happen in the meetings. Things have to happen in front of my eyes, or I'm not going to believe it. I've got to go to that church where people are doing handsprings down the center of the island, swinging from the chandeliers, and people are falling over in swathes and masses. And unless, unless I see that, you know, I don't believe a God's there. So I'm going to go to that church down the road. And then in, in, the, in the 70s, we had this massive, it was like a, a draft board, where people were moving, like we used to call them spiritual gypsies, on church to church to church to church, looking for that experience. Guess what? They'd come to a church. They'd come here maybe. People would be falling everywhere. Oh, they'd be on the side. They'd, oh, what a church this is. Six months later, not so many people falling down. Oh, they're gone. Because they'd hear that where people falling down up the road. And now we've moved into this era in the last 10 or 15 years, which is possibly the most dangerous era, era of the lot, which is the church of self-satisfaction. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm getting out of life. And it goes hand in hand with the likes of... Oh, I know you said it then. We've got to be very careful because I don't know who's listening to this. Personal empowerment. Okay, let me just encapsulate that world like that. All about empowering yourself. Yeah? I've just been on a, on a course with work. All the course was about was five words. What's in it for me? And you think to yourself, yeah, that sums up our generation. We are in a generation that's asking that question. Well, what's in it for me then? So if I come to your church, or if I join your group, or if I come to your house group, or to your prayer meeting, or if I clean the church, or if I go on the breakfast road to this, uh, what am I going to get out of it then? <laughs> uh, wrong answer. Wrong answer. But we're in this what's in it for me generation, aren't we? This consumer world that we have is eating away the building blocks of the church. So we have churches full of people. Where it's for others to put those building blocks in place. It's for others to set the foundations in place. For others to serve in the church. For others to work in the church. For others to graft. Others to make the effort where we sit back and just watch it all happen around us. And then if it doesn't happen around us, we'll be the first to criticize. We know people like that? Oh yes. I'll let somebody else attend the service. I'll let somebody else attend the house group. I'll let somebody else clean the toilets. I'll let somebody else go on the breakfast road. I'll let somebody else go to the prayer meeting. I'll, let somebody, I'll just let everyone else do everything. Others to contribute. Others to give. Others to give of their time. Others to give of their finances. We're in the consumer-led society. And it's the consumer mentality in us that dictates if we're happy what others are doing. And if they're not, then we have license to criticize, we have license to judge, we have license to walk away because it doesn't hold any personal appeal for us. But the Bible doesn't say that, does it? So this message isn't an easy one to preach because I know people might be thinking, he's having a go at me there. I'm not having a go at you, I'm having a go at myself. 
But unity is absolutely essential. Listen to what, if you don't listen to anything else I've said this morning, okay? If you just ignore everything I've said and take it the wrong way, then fine. I apologize, sort of. (laughs) But if you take one thing away from this morning is this. We have to be in this together. For this town, forget the church, for this town of ours, and for our youth of our town, and for the elderly of our town, and for the family people in our town, for their lives to be transformed by the power of Christ, it needs you and I to be united. I make no apologies for saying that. And if we're not united, we can build as big a building as we want on the road there. It'll be empty. And it'll end up a white elephant. The church must pull together. Jesus' plan for his church wasn't a plan of disunity. It was a plan of unity. And the book of Acts shows us clearly what happens when people are united. What does it say? They were all together in one place of one accord with one mindset with one set of values, with one set of interests. What were the set of interests? It wasn't, can we, we're going to have a great meeting. The interest was, we are going to change the world. And the way we change the world is by changing myself. And the way I cha- to help change myself, I'll help you change, and you can help me change. And guess what? We're all on page here. And we're all on page. And what happened then? The birth of the church began, and it spread like wildfire. All together, in one place, lives changed, people's lives transformed, society affected like nothing it had ever seen. Nothing it had ever seen. The early church had such an effect on its society, they didn't know what was happening around them. But they could see what was, what was happening. And if you read the book of Acts, I'm going to go through it now, we haven't got time. Look at the book of Acts. There's so many references to them, and they, and we. Very few references to him or her or it. Why? Because in the early church, it was all about the collective. And my prayer for ABC Church is this. Quite simple. Is that we understand that simple motto of together, stronger. Now we don't just understand it, that we embrace it. That we don't just embrace it, that we apply it. That we don't just apply it, that we live it. Now, we don't just live it, we feel it. And we don't just feel it, we, we breathe it. Because what our society needs is a church of passion, yes. A church that's effective, yes. But it's a church that has a heart. Our communities, needs a, our communities need a church that has a heart for its community. And the way we have a heart for our community is for having our hearts for each other. Because how can we have a heart for a community if our hearts for our own community aren't in the right place? So my challenge to you is this morning is quite simple. Do we want to change our, our, our town and our, and our vicinity and our area and our county and our country? Absolutely, yes we do, don't we? It starts here. It starts here. Not a fluffy message, this one at all. Perhaps it doesn't make you feel good. There we are. That's my responsibility. 
I won't be on the plan for a couple of months again, so there we are. You've got plenty of notice. <laughs> and you know next time my face is on the board, you think, that's one to miss. You can have a go at me again. And I'm not having a go. I'm really not having a go. But like everyone else, I am acutely aware of what's going on in my society. And I'm acutely aware of how inefficient churches are and how they say one thing and they do another. And I, my prayer is, we are blessed here that we have a group of people who I know by talking to you, we get it and we feel it. But you know, it's got to get embedded into our hearts. You know, we've got, I've got to go again in September to London for another two days, embedding days. Oh, gosh. They're going to embed the train into my brain. They're going to do something to me. I don't know, they're going to tie me down and just give me a shot or something. I don't know what they're going to do. But it's all about embedding. It's taking all the theory, everything we've learned, and embedding it in there so we get it. And I just pray this morning that what little I've said this morning, we can embed into our hearts so that our towns and our communities can be transformed. Because that's the only reason I come to church. I like coming to see you guys. I like having a cup of coffee. I like going to my house group. I like doing anything we do here. But you know, we're all busy. There are other things we could be doing. But we're here because we want to change our town. We want to change people outside these doors. Because we have a message that we believe that they will benefit from having. And, we, and the, only way we can, uh, the only way that we're going to take that message and be effective in a community which is tough out there is if we're together like the early Christians were. And if we are together and together strong and apply that motto to our lives, I'm sure God will turn up. He will turn up because his word says so. Amen. Thank you. What a fantastic message. Thank you, Mark. Stronger together. That's something that us Welsh won't forget. This message was brought to you by ABC Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.abclife.org or search for us on Facebook or Twitter. You can also contact us by phone on 01269 596000.